0: Welcome back to the Everyday Hair Colourist. Today's guest, a very special guest actually, is Dylan Bradshaw, one of the nicest men in hairdressing, I think. He's super kind soul, super funny, but incredibly successful salon owner, award winner, um, global ambassador and UK and Ireland ambassador. Hey Dylan, thanks
1: for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jack. Great to see you in your lavish uh, home, I see.
0: Note to the viewers: I've got a fake background going on in there. So, Dylan, before you became Dylan Bradshaw, um, salon owner, the whole thing that you are now, let's go back a little bit to your story. How did it, how did you start out in hairdressing? What was your journey like?
1: Oh, it was a really interesting journey, actually. Um, it wasn't something that I would really wanted to do. It was not a a burning desire to be in hairdressing or anything. I wasn't, I I suppose, like a common conversation to have with people in the industry over the years. I just didn't like school. It wasn't for me. I wasn't academic. I just felt I I needed something else and there was a void missing in my life. So um, my my mum got me the job as a part time hairdresser where I went up to the local salon to get a haircut. And she never told me. Now she just told me to go up. I was fifteen, and she said, "Go wear a nice shirt. Go up to my local salon and get a haircut." I love that. I remember,
0: wear remember a nice shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, just don't let don't let me down because it's my hairdresser. You're going to type thing, you know? Because I go to a barbers normally, but I went up and um, I remember the, the the I remember actually when I walked in, it was such a different sensation because. You know, you'd be in a barber's where I know, you know, it was an awful environment. But when you walk into a hair salon and the smells and the senses are totally different. I, I think if you look back at the earliest, when I remember hair salons, the first thing you'd smell, it was a weird smell, but it was perm lotion at the time. It was the first thing you'd smell when you walked into a salon in the 80s. But I remember, like, I was in a Christian Brothers school and I remember sitting there, like, literally Googling over the girls that worked in the salon. And that was kind of... I just I was like, Jesus, look at that girl. She's beautiful. And look at that girl. And then the other girl and so on. And that was the kind of thing. So by the time the haircut was over, I was just, I thought this was the best place ever, you know. So the manager came over to me and said, I i believe uh, your mum was in with me early in the week. And she said, you'd love to, do, to start hairdressing. So I was like, what? And she was like, um, yeah, she thought you'd like to you you were saying that you'd like to give it a go. So I remember there was this one this hesitant moment and we kinda of going, Oh geez I'd get some serious grief in school if I said I start doing hairdressing, you know? Yeah. I was nearly that close to saying no. And it's the weirdest thing. I look back in it now and I go, if I just because I was just I suppose there was so much eye candy that day was the reason why I said yes. It was just because of beautiful girls at the time. And that's <laughs> really how I said yes to just starting the hairdressing, so it was it was it was as simple as that really. Wow. Yeah, so I kind of started that, did that for two years, part time I was in school and it was like um it was a really dark secret. Like I kinda of would I did a lot of uh I did a lot of sports for school and I played a lot of um county uh, hurling which is an Irish uh sport and I used to smuggle in the hairdryer and the and my brushes in my kit bag. Nobody'd know that I was hairdressing for about a year in case like, I couldn't take the grief of being, like, being called, you know.
0: Everything you can, Everything that a, a young lad wouldn't want to be called in the 80s. Exactly,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just being self-conscious yeah. of it, but I have to say I loved it, absolutely loved it. I wasn't, um, I just loved the. I think the thing for me is, like, forget about the hairdressing for a second, because I'm 15 and I'm, but it's just the communication, meeting people, making that connection and, you know, I was just so proud to shampoo, shampoo somebody's hair and do a great job and to make a really good cup of tea for somebody if that's what they wanted or to clean the salon better than anybody else. It was just a sense of pride uh, of what I did, of every job that was given to me. And that's kind of where it started for me, you know. And when, um, so what happened? You you trained in that salon? That was a Peter Mark salon and it was in a su- suburban salon. And I did that for about two years part time. And then when I wanted full time, they sent me to another salon, which was, a bit kind of more suburban and it just wasn't for me so I did that for a year as my first year of training and then I went to work in the city centre uh, in Petermark and for me that was kind of that was kind of the the awakening for me if you like that's when I thought it was cool hairdressing was really cool.
0: Right and that's in the centre of Dublin of course.
1: Yeah so I worked in Stevens Green Shopping Centre for a couple of years with that and kind of start getting into it a bit more. You know, there was a, gr- a really great guy, uh, st- well, who's retired from Peter Mark now called Gary Kavanaugh. And he was an amazing inspirational guy for me. Now he was a funny fella, you know, he was, a he was the type of guy that he'd be like, um, he'd be kind of chatting you up and still working with you at the same time, but he liked you because you were, <laughs> because you were a nice boy. But, uh, he was a lovely man, a really, really lovely man. Uh, Old school, brilliant at like, you know, Marcel Waves and all those sort of techniques that I kind of was taught. and what I, He taught me quite early on and he was great and really made me kind of understand the creative side of hairdressing a lot more rather than just your client that comes through the door. Which I love the client that comes through the door. But, you know, that was kind of the awakening for me that actually, wow, there's more to there's more avenues to take in the hairdressing industry. You know, there's lots of other things you can do rather than just the salon environment, which I love the salon. Don't get me wrong. And like, I had some of the best days, uh, through the years. So that salon I worked in was quite funny. I was only about 17, 18. And it was really funny. There was, there was about 50 staff. It was a big salon. And there was about, I think there was about 22 of us men. And there was only two of us that were straight, so so you can imagine, it was like, they used to call me uh, Dildo. That was my nickname uh, in the uh, the salon. <laughs> so, so I'd be this 18-year-old boy, and I'd be blow-drying somebody's hair, and they'd go, oh, Dildo, can you come over here and do a, a blow-dry for... Uh, da, 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 da. So I'd be like, I'd have some woman in the chair, and I'd be trying to talk to her about football to try and make her think that I wasn't a gay man, because I was like being called <laughs> Dildo. So they were the kind of, the humour through working in the salon. It was, they were great days, actually. Very, very funny. Never a day went by without you breaking your heart, laughing every 20 minutes. It was just, and to be honest with you, I think you wouldn't get away with any of that stuff now. But like, Jesus, they no. were they were great days. And they made you thick skinned and they made you really, really kind of strong, you know, strong. To So I, I love those days where you kind of had... Uh, all these different influences in the salon.
0: Yeah, you definitely couldn't get away with calling somebody dildo (laughs) in the salon anymore, could you? In fact, you can't really get away with calling anybody anything. That's my Um, my point.
1: That's my point.
0: Yeah, but banter, I think, is incredibly important. And what a great community um, hairdressing is anyway.
1: You you know, it's kind of... Do you know what I loved about it is, it's kind of like when you're in the late 80s and in the early 90s in hairdressing, everybody talks about, like, you kind of get this confidence. You know, I remember working with men who probably came up from different parts of the country who were probably, uh, they couldn't come out, but because they became hairdressers, it was this, um, it was probably this avenue where you were openly gay, you could be openly gay, you know? And I thought for me, you know, I learned an awful lot about myself, but I was also learning a lot about people through the clients that were coming through the door, but the people that you were working with and I kind of find it interesting, you know, the way like the the hairdressing industry was so ahead of its time in those days. In so many levels where I mean that, you know, this this equality thing has always been the same case, same pay for same people. I know I know men may be more successful at hairdressing. Doesn't mean that they're better hairdressers, but they women might like to come into them more, but everybody's on the same pay. Yes. You know, everybody's on the same pay structure. There's none of this thing about men are more than like what we hear about now. Where Also, you know, sexual, you know, equality as well. You know, about your, if you're, you know, Asian, white, black, you're gay, straight, whatever. I think it's one of those industries that it's about human connection. It's not about like what the color of your skin or your sexual Preference or, no, you know, we've
0: always, we've always been inclusive, I think, as an industry. We've always been allowed to be true to our authentic selves in that environment. It's the hairdressing industry always been very open to all of that, I think.
1: But I, I felt for me the thing I had in common with that was just the um, like you were part of a gang of misfits, as such, or maybe you weren't probably. Uh, you didn't fit in, and, but you fit in in this group, yes. you know, or you fit in with this industry. And that's why I loved it so much. It just felt like you could be creative. You could say things and do things and try things hair-wise and all that stuff. And nobody looked at you differently. And, and that gave me great confidence moving on in my life, you know? Yes, absolutely. So even though I'm not supposed to be calling people dildos uh, working, it's actually was, it actually wasn't it was a bad thing. It, it It gives you a bit more of a thicker skin. You're not as sensitive, I suppose as uh, you could be but there were they were there were great days looking back on it
0: yeah I had some good times too
1: so after your
0: apprenticeship tr- finished and I i want to get back to a little bit later in the conversation about Marcel Waves and all those fundamentals that we both learned yeah but where
1: did you where, what, what happened next for you so I was trying to the whole thing was to qualify and then with this chap Gary Kavanagh he kind of gave me opportunities because he was probably the artistic director for Peter Mark at the time. Uh, and he gave me opportunities opportunity to start doing shoots and magazines. And he had three or four of us that would work and do stuff like that. Uh, and it was great. He really believed in young kids. And if you worked hard, you know, you, he, he would always uh, give you opportunities to, to do things. So kind of things like that was good. I, I, I learned to, you know, to do all the old basics, as I said, the skill set of, you know, dressing hair, styling hair. Up, up styling hair and then I got into more of the creative stuff and then competition works and stuff like that so I started really excelling I suppose at that period of time where I was like from about 18 to 21 Yeah. I kind of start winning competitions within the company and then I start doing lots more you know magazines and cover shoots and stuff like that but then when I got to 21 I kind of felt that my place was quite limited in Peter Mark because it's such a massive company even though they're a great company you're just kind of you probably sink a little in it. There was other people that were long-termers. So people who
0: don't know, Peter Mark has 70, I think it's 72 salons. They are absolutely massive, well-known Irish group, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they're two great guys. I mean, like, if you think about, um, they own 70 stores or 72 stores, but most of their stores are freehold, which that means that they don't rent, they own the buildings. And these yes. are buildings on really, really profilic high streets all over the country you know so they are incredibly successful just in that alone you know yes. but they have two they've over two thousand people working for them hairdressing uh, in their stores so they're a great uh, iconic brand and and they were a great foundation for an industry that kind of people all kind of um you know got great training from them and then went and did their own things uh, after them you know yes. so i worked for them okay said 21 you know look i've, I've had enough now uh, I want to go to the states for a while, and I went over as you do at the time. I went to I went over with a gir- to follow a girl who was uh, I was seeing for a while. I went down first of all down to Maryland for a summer. That's where I went because she was doing a J one, and then I came back to New York, and I had a mate of mine up in there who's who had a few bob. His Parents had an apartment in uh, on um, on the Upper East Side, and. Uh, I got a box room. I said I'd give it a go for a couple of weeks, and I just started tapping around looking for a job in hair salons. Yeah. And uh, I, um, I just got a, just there was a, a nice kind of uh, salon, um, just kind of, um, uh, what do you, oh my God, Jesus Christ, I'm uh, bumble and bumble, right?
0: So right, Bumble and Bumble, big brands. Yeah, big, when was this in the nineties?
1: Yeah, it was ninety four. Oh, we could have crossed paths. Yeah, so I was in there for uh, for a period of time, and the problem was is that I loved it, absolutely loved it, but the problem was I didn't have any qualifications, and that I had to uh, got the did a trade test, all really really good, but they wanted to put me back as an assistant because I had to do the state. I learned so much in New York, just even from going into a restaurant, but from working in and women love like women will pay anything for good hairdressing and good service and good experience. And that was for me was, I suppose, the greatest. Now, socially, I had the best time ever. It was amazing. I think in fairness, I think I was too young to be in New York. I didn't have an awful lot of money and. Suddenly, when you go into a city that size at that age, it just makes you feel like that small. I couldn't settle the same way. I had the best year there. I learned so much about, as I said, about um, the service industry, which kind of brought me back when I came back home in 95. I came back and I just said, you know, if ever I do something, uh, I just want to give a really good service and have people. Because the thing about you, I don't know about you, but... Uh, in the UK and Ireland, the hairdressing industry for me, it just takes such a hammering all the time. And I think as an industry, we sell ourselves a little short. But in in you know when it was in New York, like if you say you're a hairdresser, you can say it proudly, or a hairstylist, or a colorist. People really look at you with a kind of a that you have a great a great job. But in the UK and Ireland, if you I find that you it's probably not seen as as good as that sometimes. We kind of set ourselves a little short.
0: I mean, Tom and I have discussed this on this podcast anyway about the fact that the Americans have so much sort of go-get aspect to them anyway, and they just they just go for it and they're proud of what they're doing. But I think that also when I when I was in New York, I found it very different because you could be at a party and you could be the hairdresser, and there could be a poet and a supermodel and a, you know a socialite and a, a drug dealer and whatever. It's all going on at that party. And everyone would say, oh, hi, give, call me. Here's, here's my number kind of thing. Whereas the UK is a little bit more sort of like a class system. And it's sort of, I always feel it's slightly looked down upon. Exactly. Yet there are so many of us that have done it incre- so incredibly well and live great lives. And I don't understand why it is like that. But what I did find was that the Americans know how to present it so much better than the English. And that's, their service and just the way in which they look after people, whether it be in The Gap, whether it be in Bergdorf's or whether it be in a little salon. There's this, it's part of the American psyche, I think.
1: I think for me, well, that's the the one thing that I loved about it for me was I just came back and it just gave me this kind of feeling going, you know what, like if I do something, I really want to make a difference. I want to give a great service. I want to give a great experience Uh, and I want to be different. Rather than, I want to like look in the different direction rather than doing what everybody else is doing. So when I came home, I was like, I came back to work for Peter Mark for a year. uh, But I wasn't happy in the sense that, not that it was, it wasn't, I was unhappy. It just, uh, my thing now was I have the bug. I need to, you know, I, I need to work to do this. So I went to work in a place called Reds, which were the high end. It was the step that I needed to go, which was like probably three times the price that I was charging at Peter Mark. And I never told any of my clients and I left on good terms with the company and just said, look, I want a new start. I, I don't, I'm not going to, I haven't told any of my clients cause I want a fresh start. I can't tell my clients I'm bringing something up three times the price. If they find me, they find me, they don't. So I literally went to this salon and Alan Bruton owns it. And I said, look, Alan, I want to start again. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get a job. And we, you know, I waited six or eight months until, or a year I had him pestered till he gave me the job. And then. I just built from scratch and like yourself or myself or you know other people that you've had on the podcast that I've listened to like they're very good at what they do so you have no problem building a client base it's never been a problem you can start anywhere because word gets around if somebody you know likes what you do uh, and believes in what you do then it just it starts to build that way but so I was 23 when I started working there and then I was if you like I just kind of start doing quite well. I start working with record companies. Then I start looking after celebrities. Then I suppose I kind of, for me, I was at this stage where I was probably two, two years, three years there. And I just was really at the height of my career there. I must've been about 26, I'd say, 27. And then um, I suppose I was looking after people like, you know, that were coming through the town. I mean, You'd, like Robbie Williams, take that, you know, Spice Girls. All those people at the time that were massive at the time, I would take care of them yes. if they came in as guests. But the thing that kind of, uh, I suppose, worked well for me was, was that like the chorus had blown up massively at the time. They were huge in Europe. And um, the, I, I went on tour with them for six weeks, just doing a promo tour. And we based ourselves, I was working with them and it was great money. My God, in, in those days, I think it was on about 800 pounds a day just assist and you know i was working for myself and i was earning really good money now in fairness i didn't spend it i just banked it because my whole focus was the salon you know this was the salon for three years in my head i was going i've got to get this salon open right so uh yeah kind of looked after that discipline yeah you have to be i mean it's it's kind of easy to money to come in the door and then to try and you know pay your taxes save your money and and you know be responsible um It's very important. That's the like as you know. The easy part of business is is uh, making money. It's all the other stuff that comes after. You know, is the most difficult part of it. You know,
0: but it's a difficult one for a twenty six year old, I think, or a twenty seven year old. I think that's a difficult one. And I think it's also something that, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, that we aren't taught, and not all of us come from lots and lots of money, and so suddenly money's pouring in and it's like, whoa, and then suddenly everything gets really flashy and people don't have anything saved. So to actually be in a position where the money's coming in and saving for what you want to do is very clever, very smart and not typical of your average sort of 26 No, I mean, year. like,
1: to be honest with you, I've, I've always been working since I was 12, you know, I had a part-time job for three two nights a week and uh, it's always been, I bought my first house when I was 23, so... It's. I suppose it's kind of it's it's instilled into me at quite a young age. So, uh, I, it's not an age thing. I've never looked. I've, a bit like what you were saying earlier on. It's like the way the Americans is like. I've I'm the kind of guy that jumps off a cliff and builds the wings on the way down. You know. It's it's <laughs> it's. it's you, I know what I want to do and I know I can get to it. I just have to get there and and I'll make it happen. But now I need help and support uh, to do that. And I think you know. I suppose the next stage for me was I wanted to open the salon, that was 20 years ago. And uh, so I found a space. You know, I'd come back with the cores, they were amazingly supportive to me. I was looking after people like you, too. You know, like all these people were massive, big artists, and it was brilliant. And I was flying out to LA to do videos for weekend. I'll, but it, just, I, it was great, but it, I didn't have anything to come back to. I didn't want to come back and kind of go, I'm going back into work for somebody else. Right. I, I, I needed, I have, I had created this really kind of good name for myself, but I really wanted to build on that now, you know. So I came back and it's a funny story. I was on a, a jet with um, the cores after coming back doing a gig or something and their manager, J- John Hughes, amazing guy. He says to me, uh, Dylan, what are you doing when you get back? Because we were away on a on a tour for a couple of weeks, just doing stuff. And I said, Oh, I'm going to view a, a space for a salon. And he goes, And what are you going to call the salon? And I said something like something like, uh, Oh, the room or something. And he's like, The room. And I was like, Yeah. He says, What the what the fuck do you want to call it? The room for? And I was like, Because oh, it's cool. Like, and he's like, Listen to me, he says. So see those gobshite sitting there, which was the band, the course, He says. I told him to call themselves the course. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, because they wanted to call themselves something stupid, like Xanadu or something. Right. And he goes, the great thing about using your own name is it never ages. It never gets bored of it. He said, yes, you, you call something by the name of it. You have to live with that for the rest of your life. So when I, and I have to say it was the best piece of advice. And I was a bit kind of, Oh, but my name, if I put my name, is that make I'm, I'm a bit big headed or whatever. And he's like, no, Call it your name, and that's it. It does what it says in the tin, and that's it. So, so Jack Herrod, you did a good job there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I opened the salon, and I look, it was amazing. When I opened the salon, um, at the start, we had, I had, like, so I had celebrities all come, like, biggest bands, and I, ha- I was on the front cover of two of the biggest national newspapers the next day. One picture of me was with three beautiful women, which was The Coors, One of them was, I had Bono in the place, I had somebody else. It was just, it was one of those kind of, it was just the perfect storm and that we hit the ground running, you know, and the design of the salon, I had a guy called Tom DePuere who did the salon. It was like nothing you'd ever seen before. So we had like French Marie Claire came over in tears and shot the salon and this guy had won the Viennale um, awards. He was an amazing architect, nearly broke me by the way to get the salon open and that's the funny side of business. I wanted the best and I got the best, but he wasn't great at managing uh, his spends and his costing. So it put me in the red for the first three years where it was literally touch and go if I was going to sink or swim with the business because wow. the business was coming in the door. But my overheads were I spent I think I was in for about 450 grand before I even did a, for my first haircut. Wow. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive. At 27.
0: That's massive. Now, I remember coming into your salon and was just like, whoa it was so beautiful and so well done and you've obviously continued to expand since mm. the first time i came it's it's a delightful space it's an experience yeah isn't i mean it?
1: it's 10 years old now um it's funny that like it is it is still a really nice space it's funny now i appreciate it more because i haven't been in it i go in twice a week because we do our online orders and so the couriers are coming in and i have all the stock ready to be taken away but um, so I do look at it and I go, it's beautiful. I did a documentary only a while ago there, which was great. Myself and my wife did, and it actually looked stunning the way it was filmed. When you work in a space every day, you forget really what it's like because it's your used to it, you know. But yeah. um, but having said that, you know, I've uh, before all this happened, we we're go- we're going to rip the salon space out anyway. Now we were planning on doing it this year, but might do it in three phases and just do one section of it now. It is beautiful. It's timeless. But it's also been ripped off by a load of salons around the country now with the same look and same visuals and the the way I've done the glass and the mirrors and all that stuff. So I think it's time for a change. And, you know, I think part of, you know, what we do is to reinvent and to recreate and to find a new direction. Because for me, I'm 47 uh, and I still love the industry, but... I still want to feel the passion that I did 30 years ago. So I need to kind of shake it up a bit, if you like. I don't think there's
0: anything wrong with shaking it up at all. And I think that it's important to keep mm. moving forward. How many how many team members do you have?
1: Uh, I have current... Well, actually, that's a good question. I'll tell you when we get back to work. Uh, I'm currently about 45. How do you manage...
0: So this is like a triple question or maybe a double question... How do you inspire your team? How do you keep your team motivated? And how do you select people to be your, on your team?
1: That's a really, really tough question to answer. But, I don't, I, but like everything, I, I answer everything 100% honestly. So how do you inspire your team uh, is difficult, can be difficult. Um, when I opened my salon and we were 10 years in business, you know, through those 10 years, those, we were like, um, it was a perfect, you know, like everything, you get people that come and go and might work, might fit the business, whatever. Yeah. It was great. Really, really good. But as, when I got to the next salon, which was the salon that's in there, I went from a 1500 square feet salon where there was 22 staff. We were out the door with 15 stations. Then I go to a 10,000 square foot salon in the height of the recession, uh, which, we did on purpose because it worked out better for us as then financially we could wangle better deals if you like but that was a really hard i had at one stage in that salon uh 65 staff and that's a lot of staff. it was uh, a ball breaker because the problem is you know with people not everybody wants the same thing and when you're in a bigger uh, you know a bigger ship if you like you've got to spend a lot of time and effort looking after people and taking care of their needs and their wants. And, you know, some people want certain things, some people don't. And if I'm being really honest, because I love being behind the chair, I love to be busy, I love my clients, and I still love the creative side of what I do. That's what kind of lacks. So my wife was involved with the managing behind the scenes, which is great, Charlotte, and she's an accountant by trade. So none of this, any of this conversation, it, it... none of it works without the strength and the foundation of having somebody to support me, my wife who can kind of stay on top of the figures. Going back to what you said, it's very, very difficult to manage things. I've no problem of coming up with the ideas and concepts and driving the money in through the business, but then I need somebody to like, you know, manage it and take care of it and all that sort of stuff, you know?
0: I think a lot of successful salons have two people in there. There's the creative force who's the the name above the shop. And then there's the powerhouse behind that who's supporting them and supporting the team and, and doing all the, some of the things that just uh, would just make me turn right off, you know, I, I don't get. I mean, I couldn't manage a, one person because I'd be done for GBH, you know, because they'd say, no, I don't want to do that. And it would just drive me mad. But so you need some, somebody with other skills.
1: Yeah, but also as well, I mean, like we're all very, very sensitive creatures, as you know. Uh, you know that's that's the other thing that a lot of people don't get. You know, when you talk to your friends that aren't in our in or aren't in our world or in our industry, you know, we're very different. We feed off emotion, and we feed off, you know, you've, you're doing well, you're doing great, and so on and so forth. And I don't mean that's a good or a bad thing, but I think part of our industry is it's kind of harder now to keep people motivated for longer, I think. I think a lot of people feel like they need to change now and to grow in other ways and to kind of... So you probably find in a lot of business, a lot of salons now, and I know I find talking to people, people want to, you know, have only got a three- to five-year lifespan in, in industry in, in salons now because they feel they want to go in a different direction, and that's part of their journey. Yeah, So it's harder now, you know, it's harder in our industry and there's a lot more, you know, as a salon owner, there's a lot more frustration to to doing what you're doing because you have to work a lot harder to try and support people in what you do. But then you kind of have to let people go on and do the journey that they need to do as well. But going back to, again, like how do you keep it motivated? It's a hell of a lot harder the second 10 years than it has been the first 10 years of my business. That would be the truth uh, in the answer, you know.
0: What do you think has changed in that then, Dylan?
1: A lot's changed. Uh, Social media, as you know, can be a great tool, but it can be a tool of destruction as well. You know, it can enhance individuals as salons. And then what happens is, for me, is everybody is a brand now. You know? I was laughing at you. uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day. Forgive me for saying that girl from, uh, I think she's up in Manchester. she's She's a colourist. Yes. And you... And you were saying, you you use the phrase that I use all the time is the Irish dancing hair. Fucking hate that, right? Hate Irish dancing well, hair. I got that phrase from you. Okay, that's grand. Because I was like laughing again. So he's using the same that I say. Because the thing for me is it's just every, um, you know, Instagram you look at now is is like... Now, I am shit at Instagram. Anybody will tell you. I can be shown a picture of a cake or, or a hedge that I just trimmed tomorrow. But I'm absolutely crap at like, the, the you know structuring and all that sort of But what I hate is, is just, I hate that everybody's there to kind of, it's like the self-promotion thing all the time. If you want to share something, share it. But I think for me is everybody, like if you read it now, everybody's a brand. Like you're a brand if you're, you know, you know, a business, like you're a business, so you're a brand. But like, you know, you've got to have respect if you work for people. It should, you should partner up with people and go, you know, if that person's paying my wage, well, then I have to promote their business, and we promote theirs. So there has to be a bit of that. I I find for me is, some people do that, and then other people don't. They use it as a stepping stone. But look, that's part of what it is. I'm I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. But I I I think for me, there there needs to be a little bit of. I miss the team, you know, that kind of bond that people have in salons where people grow up together and work together and live together like a family. And I have a great team that, that do that. But I think there's people that come in now and they expect a very different. And we've been going through that journey ourselves in the last couple of years where I think for, for us is we're going to take our salon in a different direction now next year for us. Right, uh, and not because it's been good, bad and indifferent but it's because I'm learning from what people want I'm learning from what clients need and want and I'm learning from what I, well, I'm at the stage now. I'm kind of going I don't want to bust my ass like I always do in the salon I want to do less is more and I, you know I did that about two or three years ago I changed my price structure for my clients and did less but I want to do it now where I'm going to start stepping back because I really want to mentor the guys in the salon and if I'm being really honest I think maybe that's what I've let myself down in the last couple of years, that I've been so stuck in my work doing my job. That I that you've had no time to really look after the good guys that need looking after and taking care of them and, and you know, and, and having their back and kind of mentoring and then building them a lot more, you know. So I want to concentrate on that in the next few years because I'm very, very busy at what I do and because i'm busy that's great you feel like you're giving to your clients but actually sometimes if i'm being really honest i've probably not given enough to my team for that reason so i want to spend that's the one thing i've kind of learned I suppose in these last few years so i want people to kind of you know it's it's it, you know what it's the most amazing feeling and this is the thing when you when you run a business when people buy into you as a brand and they buy into you and i don't mean me as a brand i just mean as your business, as your ethos of what you want to drive and what yes. your message is. And I'll be honest, probably the last few years I was a bit confused myself of what it was because I was a bit too close in the wood, I couldn't see the trees and and now I know exactly and, and the great thing of all the negativity about the the um the COVID, if you like, the greatest thing for me is about this it gives you time to reflect on who you are as a person, what you want in life, what you want to go what you're what you want to do for the next 10 years of your business, what you want to do for your team, what you don't want to do. And, and you know, it's been really, really good for me. But we were, we were making those changes, but it's definitely brought home for me more of what I need to work on on a personal level uh, and how I need to support my team a lot more as well, you know?
0: When we're looking at training and talking about motivating the team and everything, so when we started out, of course, I think the first thing I had to do were pin curls, and then on off route, on route, kind of raps yeah. and um, Marcel waves and finger waves, and that all disappeared, didn't it? I mean, kids now don't even know how to do a perm, which is sort of was a discipline. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a, it was a, it's a great foundation, a skill set. Well, so I was just wondering about how you saw training going. Because, of course, all the young people, it's its a different game now. We can't just keep saying it was better then. I mean, it's just different. But they want everything so fast. They want it all yesterday. they I sometimes feel like they haven't realised that it's taken you since 1980s to get to where you are.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's like I'm a 30-year overnight success. That's kind of yes. the way you know people think you're like when you're interviewing people it's very similar they'll say to me they say so what would you see yourself in five years what would you like to see oh i'd like to do what you do and have what you have and i'm like going but geez, man i'm 30 years doing this you kind of have to be a little bit more realistic with your focus mm. you are right in what you're saying um, i think for me is hairdressing has become quite um you know the way like for me is nobody wants to do the full. A to Z anymore everybody just wants to get to Z yes. so they go oh, I don't I just want to do colour that's it no, nothing else I don't care about I don't want to blow dry I just want to do colour I want to do balayage I want to do this there's no kind of like well I had a base training and then I, I want to go off from that way it's just people want to just go straight to it because Jack Herod's amazing I love Jack Herod I want to marry Jack Herod so I want to do balayage <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's true because of social media they, they love they're, they're, it becomes to the stage where they go I really love what he does and that's great, but you kind of you have to kind of reel them back and go. But we got to concentrate in this base first, you know. Let's get all our kind of you know the thing about like, you know, shampooing somebody's hair like everybody slags or doing the tails and all that sort of stuff. That's your fundamental basic in it, is in how to take care of your salon environment, take care of your client. They're your fundamental basics first and foremost, your health and safety. All those things you have to get nailed right before you can go and do the other things. They help you run a column. Totally. And have respect for the space that you're in and for each other, for your coworkers that you work in and for the client that sits in your chair or whatever it is and so on and so forth. It's like, um, like the Mr. Miyagi thing, wax on, wax off, and then suddenly it all... Comes in, it all helps out when he's defending himself in the fight. But it's the same principle. We've got to teach these kids. And for me, I'm still old school. And I don't... When you say old school, people go, oh, it's a bit kind of old-fashioned. That's absolute bollocks. Like, people that we look at, the great hairdressers like the Sam McKnight's and all that sort of stuff, that people, you know, that who is always associated with these massive big brands like Chanel's and all that sort of stuff is, because it's the fundamental basics, that he still makes sure that anybody that works for sam mcknight can do the marcel wave can do yeah. finger waving can do and so on and so forth and that's just an example as we're saying so it's my job for the guys that work for me is to give them that excessive training and give them all that effort so that when they leave the salon and when they go and do their you know they can give out about me saying that guy was so fussy and he was so but then they have this great training and i've been lucky now that i'm 20 years in business people come back to me and they go you know i didn't get it at the time but I work in New York now or I work in uh, Toronto now or I work in whatever. And everybody says to me, you have a really good skill set in how you do that. And I know that's because you were banging on all this time telling me about you cannot skip. You have to do this. And that's what's given me a great foundation. And I think that is so important with our industry. And I really would like everybody to be aware. Don't rush. You're going to get there. But just skip concentrate on what you're doing now and don't be worrying about what the salon down the road where your best mate works in and they're doing highlights you know six months before you or a year before you get your fundamental basics right get that foundation good and sturdy and then your your world is your oyster you can build from that and that's you know in a nutshell for education
0: I think that's really true don't worry about what they're doing down the road focus on your career and what you're doing and why you're working at the salon you're working at it's a hard one though isn't it
1: yeah, it is hard. I mean, like, I mean, it is hard. And I think as well, it is, it's it's difficult a bit like, and that's one of the things about social media. I'm getting my head around it a bit more now and I'm starting to try and make a bit more of an effort. But it is one of those things, it's a bit voyeuristic. People will, can do damage to themselves by going, oh, worried about what somebody else is doing rather than what what's going on in their four walls. And the problem with social media is, you know, as the negative, as I said, it's really positive in the sense that you can drive business to your front door now. But also, yeah. You know, what you don't want it to do is like just because people are saying that this is what they do doesn't mean that's the way they live their lives. You know, like I've, I've had to deal with the assistants or trainees or even stylists that are worried about sometimes going They're in competition with somebody. I said, the only competition is in these four walls and you should take care of yourself. Don't be worrying about what people are posting or, or visuals and all that. I said, just at the end of the day, if you're making a good wage for yourself, if you feel that your clients are coming back to you and so on and so forth, well, then that's good. So... You know, we just have to balance it. You know, it's like, um, it's just a balancing act of what's healthy and what's not healthy, how much time to use, how much time to stay away from it and so on, you know,
0: like that. I think the problem with social is people get caught up with numbers. And, you know, if you've got a global role, that maybe is important. But if you're local, then what you want to be doing is talking to your local people. You know, if you're a salon owner or you work in a salon, you should be supporting the salon you're at and making sure that the content that you put up is appropriate if you've got the salon name on it, yeah. you know, and nobody wants to see your boobs or your speedos or your pecs or whatever you're showing. If it's a hair page, then keep it a hair page and put the
1: other stuff on your
0: own private page for all your mates to have a look at.
1: I think for me is there's a bit of responsibility. We need to be responsible, you know, and that's Because at the end of the day, you are, you know, you have to have a little bit of responsibility to what you're saying out there and how you react and so on and so forth. Yeah, I can't judge... You know that's that's other people's opinions, but at the same time, though, for me, our industry is about that connection that we were talking about earlier on. It's to make the connection if it's on social media, make the connection if that's clients in the chair. One thing that bothered me once, I was at um Salon smart. I was presenting one of the da- one of the days, but I wasn't wasn't presenting that day. Uh, and a very well known person who's a big player on social media. Um, they said to her, the person, right? They said. Um, so if you had uh, somebody that came in, a million followers on social media or on Instagram or your regular client, who would you bump? And they said, oh, totally bump my regular client for the, for the personality. And I just thought, you know, I get where they're coming from, but it's the wrong message to send to the guys that are working in your salon and in your environment because the problem with it is, is that we end up working as a busy fool. Like it's a bit, it's, you know, your client comes first every time. I do not give a shit about celebrity blah 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 and all that that's all great and that's a bonus and that's part to what we do but every client that sits in that chair is your celebrity and you've got to take care of them really really well and give them the exact same service and experience that you that if it was like bloody Brad Pitt that came in the door once you treat those clients like that all the good word comes out and that's the thing we should not you know put value on somebody's better than the other that sits in the chair you know it's it just drives me insane and it's still old school we must tr- you know Bang that home to you know the people that work that we work with that look after all clients with that sort of intensity and respect. But I think
0: that when you're looking at working with influencers, anyway, you know people with large followings. Uh, first of all, you have to make sure that they're the right people that you want to come to your salon because it's no point if it's a 16 year old, you know, in a bed sit in their parents' house. They're not going to come and spend those prices. So I'm always really quite selective about the girls that I want to work with, and they have to. They have to be on brand with me. Otherwise, I get rid of them. But they also have to be able...
1: It defeats the purpose uh, for you. Absolutely. You're dead right. Totally
0: defeats the purpose. But I also, if I have a client who's paying, who wants to come in that time, then they know they get moved around because, you know, I want to make sure that I look after my clients as well as my social side. But clients come first.
1: Absolutely. It's just a balancing thing, but to do it in the right right way uh, and to take care of your clients, for sure.
0: And then finally, Dylan... Um, your brand, your global brand ambassador
1: role. How's that going for Dyson? Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love it. You know, it's a great team of misfits that we all are ambassadors. There is uh, Larry King. There is myself. You obviously, you know, Matty, yeah. who uh, great friend of yours that you worked for, for with worked with in L'Oréal. There is um, who Pete Thompson as well, great yeah. guy. And we look, we have a ball. It's it's the best thing ever. I love. um, you know like it you, you, I think you you know the, the nicest thing in the world is when you do, you're in your own world and you work in your own salon environments or you're promoting yourself it's but it's such a relief when you work with four or five other people because you get so much out of each other and so much creatively it you become like superheroes you you have the strength with the group it's so much better yeah, and it's fun and. It kind of gets you out of your kind of what we do every day,
0: you know? When you're on your own being an ambassador, I think it can be quite isolating. And so it's really a lovely experience when you get in a room with a bunch of other people that are doing something similar but different and the connections and the bounce. It's like working in a salon or working on your own. I think there's something wonderful about working with a bunch of people.
1: But again, going back to who we are, I think we're creative people and we just we feed off connection and and relationships and, you know, we feed off uh, personalities. And I think we benefit hugely from it. Do do you know what I mean? And I think the audience and the brand uh, benefits much, much better. But in fairness, Dyson are great people to work with. I love working with them. Very excited to work with them every time, you know, and they bring, you know, they've reinvented the wheel a few times now and that's what makes it exciting, you know.
0: Absolutely. Very exciting technology going on there. Fast paced, fresh faced company. Cool. Well done. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Thanks, man. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for coming on today, Dylan. Some great insights there on everything that's going on. Um, That's brilliant. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sorry, I hope I was okay and I wasn't too, there wasn't too much blasphemy uh, along the way.
0: I think you're the only person that's sworn on it so far. Oh, fuck no.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favourite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Colour, C O the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Colour, C O And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com.